Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. Something you need to consider as a child of God, that we wouldn't let outside connection. We wouldn't let, it could be a family tie, it could be a tie through marriage, it could be a tie through business, that there would be no ties with people that supersedes our commitment to the living God. That there would be nothing above the Lord, His word, His reign, His rule, and what He wants in our lives. And so there was significant compromise here that someone that God said shouldn't even be in the temple lived in the temple. As Christians in our current culture, it has been easier to associate with influences that are not of God. Whether it's friends, family, or social media, we are always being courted by influences that don't share God's values. Today, Pastor Bill explains that no matter how easy it gets to turn to the world's influences, you need to stay true to who God is calling you to be. The world will always be tempting you to settle for its values, but only God's grace can save you. Stay strong in his wisdom for your life. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Nehemiah chapter 13 as he begins his message, Things That Hinder Lasting Change. All right, so Nehemiah chapter 13, I titled the chapter, Things That Hinder Lasting Change. Uh, Everybody here, I'm sure at some point in your life has made a commitment um, and then it didn't, didn't stick with it, committed to do something and fell off. Maybe, uh, you know, there's a number of things I could throw out there. You know what they are in your life. You know, just things that you committed to do, maybe things you committed not to do anymore, and you find yourself back doing the things that you said you wouldn't do or no longer doing the things that you said you would start doing. So we're going to look at those in Nehemiah's day and how they did fall off. There was a great commitment made. I think they made, they meant the commitment when they made it, but they fell off from that commitment. So Nehemiah chapter 13, starting at verse one, it says, on that day, they read from the book of Moses in the hearing of the people. And it was, and and in it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever come into the assembly of God because they had not met the children of Israel with bread and water, but instead hired Balaam against them to curse them. However, our God turned the curse into a blessing. So it was when they had heard the law that they separated all the mixed multitude from Israel. So as the Lord was doing a work in Israel and delivering them and they were making their way through, when they came to the place of Moab and Ammon and they needed bread, the people were hungry. They were told by the people of Moab and Ammon, they wouldn't give them bread. They wouldn't give them food. They wouldn't help them out. And on top of that, They hired Balaam, if you guys know that story, they hired Balaam to curse Israel. Um, He was a a prophet for hire, if you will. And uh, they were hiring him to to curse Israel, and God made Balaam bless them instead. And so the law said that the people of Ammon and the people of of Moab should never come into the assembly of God. Now, I'll say this, because God does leave some, some room here they wouldn't be able to come into the assembly of God as a Moabite, as the people of Ammon, worshiping their other gods, living the other way. There is room and there was room. And there's an example of this where someone could be come from Ammon and someone could come from Moab and basically repent, turn from their false gods, 
turn to the God of Israel, submit to his ways and be accepted into the family of God to be accepted in the in with the people of God. Uh, one such example would be Ruth. Ruth was a Moabite woman. And if you guys remember what Ruth said to Naomi, it was it was very important. She said when she you know was letting Naomi know I'm coming back with you, she says, your people will be my people. And more importantly, she said, your God will be my God. And she was going to stay with her. And so she was accepted back when they came. But the bottom line was, in general, a, a person from an Ammonite and a Moabite were not able to come into the assembly of the Lord. You couldn't just come in before God with your false beliefs, with your false ideas, with your false gods. You couldn't come into the assembly of God as someone that didn't worship the true and living God. And they also weren't supposed to be intermarrying, which we'll see was a problem. So earlier on, when the law was read, the people agreed, they repented, and they separated from the mixed multitude. I want to say this because I think it has to be said every time I teach this. When God talks about a mixed multitude, God's problem is never the mixing of races. Never a problem with God. If you're black and you like white, it's all good. If you chocolate and you like, you know, whatever the other flavors you like, it's all right with the Lord. The issue with God is that there be a believer with a believer. And so as you follow all the way through the New Testament, God says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, he says, do not be unequally yoked together with an unbeliever. And he goes through this whole list of rhetorical things. What, what fellowship have Christ with Satan? What do we have? What does light have in common with darkness? And the answer to all those is nothing. Believers and non-believers have nothing in each other. And so you want to be careful about that. For those that may be watching this and you're single and you haven't married someone yet, I'll just say it every time, you shouldn't even be considering someone that isn't born again and loving the Lord as much as you do or more. And so the same was true back here. It, it would become a stumbling block for the people of God, and we'll see today that it became just that. Um, if you're a note taker, you can write down Deuteronomy chapter 23, verses 3 and 4, where this is where the law was written and it said an Ammonite or Moabite shall not enter the assembly of the Lord, even to the 10th generation. None of his descendants shall enter the assembly of the Lord forever because they did not meet you with the bread and water on the road when you came out of Egypt. And because they hired against you Balaam, the son of Beor from Pethor of Mesopotamia to curse you where the Ammonites and Moabites were not to be regarded as part of Israel. And so that's the word of the Lord to them. And we'll see today that they didn't honor that. They, they, they made the commitment initially. They made the initial separation. But um, Nehemiah is going to come back and find that people have gone back to what they were doing before. Now, the background of the book of Nehemiah, it starts way back in chapter one when Nehemiah's burdened. He gets permission from the king to go and he goes, he builds a wall, he becomes the governor. There's victory here, there's, there's spiritual reform, God does a great work. Well, eventually Nehemiah goes back to Persia where he was the king's cupbearer. And there's some, there's some room for argument here as to how long was Nehemiah gone before he comes back here. Some believe that he was gone for back to Persia, he's been gone for 10 years, and now he's back some believe that he's been, he was here for 10 years. He went back to Persia for two years and he's back. I, I line up there. You can make an argument either way. So I'm not going to make a whole lot about that. The, suffice it to say, Nehemiah had got everything going. 
people recommitted to the Lord, reestablished the law. The priests are doing their job. The Levites are doing their job. He left them in shape. He left them with orders. He left them with God's word. He left them in good condition to continue with everything that God had said. And rather, it was 10 years that he left them. I believe that it was two years that he had left them. Either way, they were left with instruction, direction from the Lord. They knew what they were to be doing and not to be doing. But Nehemiah comes back and finds that things are all out of whack when he gets there. So look now at verse four. It says, now before this, Eliashib, the priest, having authority over the storerooms of the house of our God, was allied with Tobiah. Everybody remember that name, Tobiah? If you guys remember Tobiah, this is not a friend of Israel. He was not a friend to Nehemiah. This guy was against Nehemiah the entire time he was trying to get the project going to build the wall. And so it says Eliashib, the priest, is allied with Tobiah. Now, this is interesting. Eliashib, the priest, had an important job. He was a priest in the temple of God. He was in charge of dealing with the tithes and offerings that were brought in. They were supposed to go into a storehouse for the Lord so that the Levites could eat and things could be taken care of in the house of God. But it says in verse five, and he had prepared for him a large room where he previ- where they where previously they had stored the grain offerings, the frankincense, the articles, the tithes of grain, the new wine and oil, which were commanded to be given to the Levites and singers and gatekeepers and of the offerings of the priests. But during all this, I was not in Jerusalem, for in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I had returned to the king. Then after certain days, I I obtained leave from the king, and I came to Jerusalem and discovered the evil that Eliashib had done for Tobiah in preparing a room for him in the courts of the house of God. Now, I want you just to consider this with me for a moment. Tobiah is not a friend of God. He was a, he was against the work the whole time. Nehemiah leaves. Imagine the shock when Nehemiah comes back and he's like, wait a minute. Not only are we not collecting tithes and offerings like God told us, you took a room in the temple that was dedicated to the Lord for these things. And you made a living quarter for Tobiah. Tobiah's living on site. At the temple, he is not a child of God. He is an outsider. He is of the accursed people, and he's living inside the house of the Lord in quarters that have been set aside for something else. And so I just want you to understand Nehemiah is going to be disturbed, and he should be. And I would liken this to us, areas of our life where these areas, God said, this is set apart for me. There may be in your life things that God said, this is what I want set us apart from me. There may be your gifts. It could be your talents. It could be things that we give to the Lord. It could be some some part of our life that's supposed to be set apart for God's use. And not only only is it not being used for God's purpose, it's it's now being used for a purpose that's other than, that goes against what God's... The one thing worse than not letting God have what's been dedicated to him is to take what's been dedicated to him and use it for another purpose. And so... I remember when I was a kid, when I was a teenager, actually, my mom was really concerned with all the gang stuff that was going on where we lived. And 
she saw something on the news that said all the hats that I, you know, I had all these different hats and me and my buddies were getting our, the street that we lived on, 116th Street. We would put it on the side of our hats and our nicknames on this side and, and that on this side of the hat. And we would match our shoes and stuff like that. And my mom thought that was a gang thing. It really wasn't. Not really. And so I came home one day and my mom had taken all my hats and put them in a trash bag and taken them out of my room. So I had a hat rack, and when I got home, my hat rack was empty because something my mom saw on the news. If you could, if you could understand as a young man, 13, 14 or so, I was hot. I was angry. I was mad. I wanted my hats back. I was, give me my hats. I'll go live with my dad with my hats, but I want my hats back. Well, I wasn't getting my hats back. That was bad enough. One day, my mom's boyfriend rolled up to the house, and he rolled up with my, I remember which hat it was. It was my Raiders hat that went with my Raiders bomber's jacket, he had on my Raiders hat that said 116th Street, little buff on the side. He had my hat on, his head. The, the only thing worse than having my stuff taken from me was to have it taken another man. I'm like, how he, how is he man enough to wear my hat? And I can't wear my hat. So I was fried. So understanding Nehemiah realized that the temple, this is set apart for God. And Eliashib the priest has done a very wicked thing in putting putting Tobiah in this place. Now, the reason he did so, he was allied with Tobiah. Many believe that Eliashib, the priest, had given his daughter to wife to Tobiah, that they were, they were connected in that way through Mary. That's why he was allied. That's why he was giving favor to him in this way. And so something you need to consider as a child of God, that we wouldn't let outside connections, we wouldn't let it could be a family tie. It could be a tie through marriage. It could be a tie through business. That there would be no ties with people that supersedes our commitment to the living God. That there would be nothing above the Lord, his word, his reign, his rule, and what he wants in our lives. And so there was significant compromise here that someone that God said shouldn't even be in the temple lived in the temple. And he lived in the place where tithes and offering were supposed to be stored that the Levites might be able to eat and live. And so we're going to see in just a moment that the Levites had actually gone back to work in the fields. They had gone back to gardening and doing agricultural work because they weren't being provided for because of what Eliashib had done in bringing Tobiah into the house of the Lord. Verse eight, I want you to note this about Nehemiah. We're going to see it over and over again in this chapter that he was a man of action. Nehemiah was not a man that just felt some kind of way. He would feel intensely, but he would do something about what he felt. And I think that's an important thing for those of us that are called to be leaders. It's you can't just be feeling all the time. When you get done feeling, then what's God saying? What do you do about what you felt? What do you do about what you just observed? And so Nehemiah is verse eight says, um, and it grieved me bitterly. He was very grieved over what he saw. Therefore, I threw all the household goods of Tobiah out of the room. He kicked him out of that room that day. I like Nehemiah. Nehemiah said, now I'm here today, sir, and it's over today. I'm, not, I, I, I'm, I'm bitterly grieved over what you did, and I'm going to kick you out right now. He was a man of action. It says he threw all the household goods of Tobiah out of the room. Verse 9, then I commanded them to cleanse the rooms, and I bought back into the to the, I bought back into them the articles of the house of God and the grain offerings and the frankincense. He put things back in their proper order. That's what Nehemiah came to. That's what leaders do. Now, 
It, do you guys look at this and think, man, that's kind of, is, is that flesh? Is, he, is, that, is that sinful anger? No, this is righteous anger. This is like when Jesus came into the temple and he saw the money changers ripping people off and taking advantage of people. And Jesus made a whip of cords and he flipped the tables over. He ran them out of there and he said, you guys have turned my father's house into a den of thieves, but it's supposed to be a house of prayer. This place has a specific purpose and you guys have perverted it. I'm putting you out of here. It wasn't flesh. It was righteous anger. And there's a place for that. There's a place for leaders rising up and, and making things right that are wrong. And in this place, Nehemiah says, no, nah, I'm back. And this is not going to happen in my presence. Tobiah, out of here. Get his stuff out of here. Come in and cleanse. Make this place ceremonially clean because he has defiled this room. Cleanse the room and bring the things back into this room that God said were supposed to be in this room. Everything he did was according to the word of God. He put things back the way God said they should be. And so, again, I, I want to point out that Nehemiah is a man of action. We'll see this over and again throughout the chapter. Now it says in verse 10, I also realized that the portions for the Levites had not been given to them. For each of the Levites and the singers who did the work had gone back to his field. And so Nehemiah sees that the Levites have been, because they weren't being cared for through the temple and through the tithe like God had prescribed, they had been forced to go back to work in the field because the people weren't doing what the law prescribed for them to do in the Old Testament. So verse 11, again, he takes action. So I contended with the rulers and said, why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and I set them in their place. Then all Judah brought the tithe of the grain, the new wine, the oil to the storehouse. And so he put them in order. He got all the rulers and said, what are y'all doing? Why, you, why is the house of God being neglected, you guys? And he made them get that thing back in order. And they brought the tithe that they were robbing God of. And they brought it into the storehouse. And he put that back in order. Once again, I would encourage anybody listening that you're, God's made you a spiritual leader. That sometimes spiritual leaders got to do difficult things to put stuff in order. It won't always be fun to be a leader. Many times it is difficult to lead because you're leading people that don't always want to go the right way or do the right thing. And so sometimes when you do things the way God wants, you may have some, some kickback. You may have some resistance. And so God needs leaders like Nehemiah. Um, what you see about Nehemiah is this. He cares about one thing. Do you see that? He cares about one thing, what God wants. That's what I care about. Everybody else can deal with it, but I care about what God wants. And sometimes that's how a leader needs to be. If you're a leader that needs everybody to like you, you might not be able to lead the way God wants because everybody won't always like when you do things the way God wants. And so Nehemiah here is putting things back in order. And, he, you know, he's, he's very direct. He's, a, he's bold and he's active. He's an action leader. He's not he's not having 10 meetings. He didn't say, guys, let's pray about this. Let's, let me come, come, come. He's meeting with them and telling them what they're going to do. And they're going to get it together right now. Verse 13 now. He says, and I appointed as treasurers over the storehouse, Shemaiah, I'm sorry, the priest, and Zadok the scribe, and of the Levites, Padiah, and next to them was Hanan, the son of Zakur, the son of Mataniah, for they were considered faithful, and their task was to distribute to their brethren. And so something that leaders need to do as well is raise up other faithful people. Nehemiah found some men. Obviously, the men that had been doing it weren't faithful. 
So he found some men that were faithful and he put them in charge. This reminds me of what Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. He told Timothy, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses. Commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. It says, Timothy, get a, have an eye for other faithful men who, when you share it with them, they're going to be able to share it with others also. That's an important characteristic for leaders, that we be able to identify faithful people, people that it would be worth sowing it into this person. Something I've learned over the years is if you train an unfaithful person, you know, it's, it's like you pour all this information or this, this training into someone and, and they never materialize. They're, they're never able to take what you poured in and, and make good use of it because you poured it into an unfaithful vessel. It'll be like fixing the interior on a car that the motor don't run right. What good is that going to do you after a while? And so we want to pour into faithful people, people that have just got the characteristic of being faithful. And I, I like to say this to believers, while we can't all be talented and while we don't all have the same gifts, Everybody has the potential to be faithful. Faithfulness is a characteristic. It's a character trait. So we can all be faithful to the Lord. Rather we are or not is up to us, but you can be faithful with whatever God has given you, whatever level of talent, level of gifting God has given you, you can be faithful. And so Nehemiah raised up other faithful men and he committed them to the task. Now, I titled the chapter Things That Hinder Lasting Change. And so what we've seen so far, what's hindered, how come this commitment that they had made that seemed so solid once, you know, we were finished with chapters 10 and 11 and 12, it looked like something really radical had happened. They had got God's word. They were broken. They fasted. They prayed. They repented. They made a new commitment. They signed it. I mean, they looked like they were getting ready to go. And now it's all falling apart. What happened? few things. Uh, one, and I think this might top the list and and cross over everything that we look at. When Nehemiah left, something happened. People didn't do what while he was there, they did what they knew God wanted. But when he was gone, they didn't. Um, and so there was something missing among this group of people, even the leaders, even Eliashib, the priest. And it's this. It's the fear of the Lord. Some people will serve a man better than they would serve the Lord. Some people are men pleasers. And while men are watching, they'll be faithful. But when men are gone, their true character comes out. They're not, they're not as faithful when, not, when someone's not overseeing them or watching over them. And so the, a lack of the fear of the Lord. And so we could check our own lives, right? If you look at your life and think, man, when I've messed up, when I've fallen short, when I've, when I've walked away, when I've been disobedient to the Lord, one thing across the board is a lack of the fear of the Lord. If you if you fear the Lord, it'll keep you right. Because God, when is God not present? He's always present. And we would just be mindful of that. God is present everywhere all the time. It'll keep you that we would live in that way. God doesn't matter who sees me, but you're seeing me. Doesn't matter who can hear me. Lord, you hear what's going on in my heart, and my mind, that we would maintain, that we would continue to live out the presence of the Lord, but also walk in the fear of the Lord. And so I believe that that's overriding all of this. Why have things gone into such disarray? How, how did they let the Levites get back into the field to go to work? They don't fear God. 
I'm, God, I, I, we're, obviously they did this in front of the Lord. They had the law. Now they were accountable to the word. It wasn't like before where there was some ignorance. Now we know what God wants and we are sinning anyway. We don't fear the Lord. You've been listening to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. Pastor Bill is making his way through the book of Nehemiah. When Nehemiah got to Jerusalem and saw all the work that he needed to do, he knew just how to motivate the people to get on board with his plan. Read with me in Nehemiah 2, verses 17 through 18. Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem, that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. Do your hands need strengthening for the work in front of you? Look no further than the hand of God. Remember his faithfulness in everything that he has done. But none of us were ever meant to do this alone. Are you looking for a community where you'll be supported and loved? Then come see us at Calvary Chapel Inglewood in Inglewood, California. Let's rise up together. You can find us online at calvaryinglewood.org. Once again, that's calvaryinglewood.org. There you'll find everything you need to know and a lot of bonus material for your personal study. For those of you further away, come be in virtual community with us through Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. We live stream our Sunday services. And with that, we've come to the end of our time together today. Thanks for joining us, and be sure to come again to A Transforming Word.